Welcome to Chapel Under the Oaks. Today is February 28th, 2021, and it's the second Sunday of Lent. Thank you for joining us. Our key scripture for today is Matthew 5, 48, reading from the New International Version. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our full scripture reading comes from the three synoptic gospels. First, we read of Jesus being tempted early in his ministry, reading from Luke 4, 1 through 13, the New International Version. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has all been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, He left him until an opportune time. Next, from Mark 8, 31 through 33, in the Good News translation, Jesus later deals with temptation from an unexpected source. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He will be put to death. But three days later, he will rise to life. He made this very clear to them. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, and rebuked Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. Your thoughts don't come from God, but from human nature. And finally, just before his arrest, Jesus struggles again with temptation as recorded in Matthew 26, 36 through 43, the Good News Translation. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here for a while as I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Grief and anguish came over him, and he said to them, The sorrow in my heart is so great that it almost crushes me. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little farther on, 
threw himself face downward on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he returned to the three disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, How is it that you three were not able to keep watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, Jesus went away and prayed, My father, if this cup of suffering cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. He returned once more, found the disciples asleep, that they could not keep their eyes open. Again, Jesus left them, went away, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And now the message for today. Please pray with me. Almighty God, make me an instrument of your salvation and sanctification for these precious people you have entrusted to my care through this podcast, that by my life and teaching, I may set forth your true and living word. Amen. We live in a world of upgrades. Have you noticed this? Think about it. Pretty much everything you buy, from an app for your phone or tablet, to your car, to airplane tickets and hotel rooms, comes in a basic package that you can upgrade if you wish. So what exactly is an upgrade? I looked it up, of course. The Oxford English Dictionary defines upgrade as raising something to a higher standard improving by adding or replacing components. Merriam-Webster adds, extending the usefulness of something or replacing something with a more useful version or alternative. Now, a great example of how this typically works in our world is the airplane ticket. Back during what is known as the golden age of travel in the 1950s and 1960s, every seat included the same amenities hot, fresh food, alcoholic beverages, plenty of leg room, and an ever-present stewardess. Yes, a stewardess, not a flight attendant. Now, of course, you can buy everything from a first-class ticket, which includes all those things, to basic economy, which essentially means meh, you have a seat somewhere on the plane. Now, your luggage does not, unless you pay extra. You get no sustenance other than water, unless you pay extra. You can't possibly stand up by your seat, unless you pay extra. And you will be the last one to board the plane, unless you pay extra. But you will get where you want to go. The minute you purchase that very basic ticket, you are offered an upgrade. So you can take advantage of some or all of these extras. If you decline at that point, don't worry. There will be other chances. In fact, you will have opportunities 
right up until you get on the plane, and sometimes even after you board, to upgrade. Indeed, we live in a world of upgrades. Now, this is the second Sunday of Lent. Last Sunday, we began our season just a little bit late by combining the first Sunday with Ash Wednesday. We are nothing if not flexible here at the Chapel Under the Oaks. But now, as we move deeper into the season, I'm wondering what you all think of when you think of Lent. For many years, I associated Lent with giving something up. Growing up in a Southern Baptist church, that's all I really knew. People gave up something for Lent. Oh, and and ate fish. I attended public schools my entire life, and every Friday in the school cafeteria, we had fish sticks and macaroni and cheese and black-eyed peas. That's what we eat in the South, you know. Of course, this continued into adulthood for me as I was a teacher and then a school administrator for nearly 30 years. Even as we speak, I have to confess, I have Luby's frozen fish and macaroni and cheese in my freezer and a can of black-eyed peas in the pantry, just in case we get the urge for a fish dinner. But you may have noticed that I didn't say anything last week about giving something up for Lent. That's because that's one of those practices that, for me, can be dubious at best. If you do that and it brings you closer to God, which is the whole point, then you are on the right track and should continue doing that. For a lot of us, however, it seems that we give up things that we should have given up anyway like overeating, overdrinking, eating bad things for us, drinking bad things for us. And we spend Lent wishing we had chosen something else and struggling to keep our commitment, kind of like making a New Year's resolution. And that's not what Lent is about. A little history. The word Lent comes from a Saxon word, Lincoln, which in Old English meant length and was used to denote springtime. As it evolved in relation to the Easter season, it came to mean a fast in preparation for the feast. And here is where we get the giving up part, fasting. In the first two centuries of the church, it was just a two-day fast on Friday and Saturday before Easter. After the Roman Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity in the early 300s, some Christians began observing a 40-day period prior to Easter for fasting. The number 40, often signifying a period of testing or trial in the Bible. The 40-day fast became the norm for all churches. And note, in case you are fasting from something this Lent, you're going to want to know this. The 40-day period between Ash Wednesday and Easter does not include Sundays. You can count it up on your calendar, but not right now. Sundays remain feast days, times when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, even during Lent. So save up your chocolate or red meat or wine or desserts for Sunday and enjoy guilt-free. Now, while we think of Lent as a time of giving up or taking on something in the early church, it was also a time of training candidates for baptism with the baptism on Easter. 
This is still true in some churches today. Also in the early church, Holy Week, the last week of Lent, was a time to reconcile and restore brothers and sisters who had been separated from the church due to certain sins deemed particularly egregious, not necessarily by God, but by the church leadership. And fasting was seen as beneficial for individuals and the church for several reasons, preparing for receiving the Spirit as a weapon against evil and helping the poor with money we would otherwise spend on ourselves. So despite the fact that it sometimes seems counterproductive, giving up something or taking on something such as preparation for baptism can be a very beneficial part of Lent. More important, I believe, is our understanding of the annual opportunity we have at Lent to take our faith to the next level, to go for the upgrade. So what might an upgrade of my faith or of your faith look like? You've noticed, I'm sure, that on our Linton banner here at Chapel Under the Oaks, we've written Journey to Jerusalem. We aren't talking about an actual journey, of course, although in the next few weeks, we will walk with Jesus to some of the places he visits as he journeys to Jerusalem before his arrest and crucifixion. But no, we, you and I, are journeying to Jerusalem as a pilgrim in the faith. And like all pilgrims, we are searching for something, for a spark that will restart our faith that will set us afire once more, or perhaps for the first time, as disciples of Jesus. We've been through some dark times this past year, haven't we? We've lost loved ones. We've been denied the opportunity to gather in person with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe we've been sick ourselves, and we've watched and grieved as our country has descended farther and farther into chaos. So yes, a pilgrimage sounds like a good thing. You probably noticed that our scriptures today dealt with Jesus being tempted, but not just his most familiar temptation in the desert where Satan tempts him three times, but temptations throughout his life again and again. In fact, the devil even tells him that's what is going to happen early on. In our first scripture reading from Luke, the timing is just after Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, that glorious scene where the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus as he comes out of the water, and God the Father identifies Jesus as his son. Afterward, Jesus knew he needed to prepare himself to embark on his mission. And so he goes into the wilderness southwest of Jerusalem and fasts for 40 days. There's that number again. And of course, Satan comes to tempt Jesus at the end of his fast period, at his weakest, at his most vulnerable, because that's how the ancient enemy operates. We see here for the first time that although Jesus was without sin, He was not without temptation. It seems that no one who walks on this earth, even God's son, gets a pass on temptation. 
But Jesus does not fall for the devil's tricks. In fact, as the story is presented in all three of the synoptic gospels, Jesus never hesitates in his responses. How unlike us. More often than not, when temptation comes our way, we make a fatal mistake. We think about it. And once we think about it, well, too often our thoughts lead to desires and desires lead to behaviors. Not so with Jesus. He never even considered it. Not here. But Satan is not one to be put off so easily. Luke's last words tell the tale. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Our next passage occurs a little over two years later. By this time, Jesus has made quite a name for himself. He has many followers, including the 12 disciples we know so well. It's very soon after his transfiguration on the mountain that we discussed last Sunday. And Mark tells us that he is preparing his disciples for what will happen in Jerusalem when he is arrested, tried, and crucified. He also tells them of his resurrection three days later, although when the time comes, they will be so filled with fear that they forget this important piece of the story. After Jesus tells them these things, Peter, his right-hand man, actually rebukes Jesus for saying such things. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus, arguing with Jesus, not believing what Jesus says? Hmm, perhaps we should not be too hard on Peter. Some of us have been there also, I suspect. Here, Peter can't believe that what Jesus has said is true. But Jesus sees his rebuke for what it really is. Satan working through his friend to plant seeds in Jesus' mind. Thoughts that perhaps there might be another way to accomplish his mission. Seeds of doubt. Seeds of temptation. Satan has found an opportune time and a willing vessel in Peter. But again, Jesus answers quickly, speaking directly to his old enemy as he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And then he reminds Peter that he has allowed this seed of doubt, of temptation, to take root in his mind as he says, Your thoughts do not come from God, but from man. And then our last scripture occurs just before Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know the scene. Jesus has gone to the Mount of Olives to pray and taken James, John, and Peter with him. He asks them to keep watch and they fall asleep. Jesus goes off and prays, obviously agitated. He keeps coming back and forth to them three times. He is far from at peace. He knows what is coming, but he is not ready. He is weak. He is vulnerable. What an opportune time for an old snake who loves sneaking up on people in gardens. And so we hear Jesus ask his father three times if there might be some other way to accomplish his mission. 
something less painful, less humiliating, less hurtful for all of these people who have loved him and cared for him over the past three years, something that won't break his mother's heart. But even as this happens, he knows he's being tempted, for he ends each prayer by recommitting to God's will, essentially saying in our words, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there might be another way now that we've seen how all of this has played out, now that we're so close, but it's your call. I will do what you want me to do because you know best. His words to Peter and the others who've fallen asleep are perhaps reflections of the struggles going on inside of him. He tells them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew that the flesh was weak, and so does the ancient enemy, the snake, Satan, the evil one. He knows it far better than we do most of the time. But Jesus did not succumb to the devil's schemes. He completed his journey to Jerusalem. He became the perfect, sanctified Savior that he came to earth to be. And now in this Lenten season, we find ourselves on our own journey to Jerusalem. And what are we headed toward? Surely not sanctification, not perfection like Jesus. We are only human. And yet, we read in our key scripture today that Jesus himself told us to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Notice the use of the word, therefore, as if it makes perfect sense. Jesus has laid out through the Sermon on the Mount a clear path to this perfection, all we have to do is follow it. The path to perfection, to sanctification, overcoming each temptation along the way as Jesus did. It sounds simple when you put it that way, but it's not, is it? For one thing, we'll never get there, not in this life, but we can pray for it. Hear Charles Wesley's words again from our first hymn today. Finish, then, thy new creation. Pure and spotless, let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. This journey to Jerusalem is just that, a journey. We hope to be changed from glory into glory along the way so that we become more like Jesus. We do that by traveling the path to perfection. But we can't just hop on this path from where we are and that's because where we are is at square one. And square one is a state of sin, of disobedience. Now don't argue with me. 
It's true, we all have the nature of sin, whether we believe we are committing sins or not. We'll talk more about that next week. But for now, just go with me here. We are all living with sinful natures. That is our starting point. If we were to use Google Maps or our GPS for directions from square one, our state of sin, to the path to perfection, we would find that every route takes us through the same place, the old ghost town of repentance. It's not a place that most people want to visit. It's where the ghosts of our past and present live, and we don't want to see them. We sure don't want to engage with them in any way. And yet, if we want to get to the path to perfection, we must make a stop here. It's the only choice we have. So this Lenten season, we are going to talk about getting on the path to perfection. Next week, we'll talk about square one, our state of sin. We can't make this journey if we don't understand this. And then the following week, We'll talk about repentance, about confronting those old ghosts that we would love to get rid of, those memories, regrets, guilts, hurts that occupy our thoughts too often and too much. Just as David wrote about in Psalm 32 that we read responsively earlier. And then finally, we'll spend some time on the path to perfection. And I pray you will make this journey with us, this journey to Jerusalem. Make it in your head and in your heart. You see, giving something up or taking something on for Lent only matters if that something is blocking you from this journey, from taking your faith to a whole new level. For that is what Lent is all about. It's our annual opportunity to upgrade to go from our basic understanding of salvation, from the ruts we have fallen into over the past year, to new glorious heights of passion and, yes, perfection. It's our chance to restart, revive, and renew our relationship with Jesus, to go for the upgrade. Remember that airline flight we talked about earlier? The one where you were pretty proud of yourself for snagging that cheap ticket? But then you learned that you really didn't have the whole package and you needed an upgrade. You wanted an upgrade, but the upgrade is not free. You will have to pay more, sometimes significantly more, to check your luggage, to get that more comfortable seat, to board the plane before it's already taxiing down the runway. Sometimes you realize it would have been smarter to just buy the first class ticket to begin with. Because in our world, upgrades are never free. Ah, but things are different with Jesus. You see, Jesus has already purchased you a first-class ticket to eternal life. A with-God kind of life that begins here on earth, connects through paradise, and continues on to your final destination with God in the new creation a ticket that includes a lifetime journey on the path to perfection. And like the upgrades on the airline, you will have many opportunities to take advantage of the offer right up until you depart 
for your final destination. The difference is, and we know this all too well, unlike the trip on the plane, we don't know when we will make our departure, do we? It might be much sooner than we expect. So why would you wait? Why are you still sitting in economy? Why would you settle for basic salvation when you can have the full deal, all the perks, the top of the line? It's not going to cost you anything. Jesus already reserved you a seat. You're not going to get another charge on your credit card. For you see, Jesus paid it all on Calvary. This Lent, don't spend time worrying about giving up this or that, about going around with a long face, wondering if you've repented enough or confessed enough. Instead, look deep in your heart and ask this question. Am I serious about Jesus? Will I let the Holy Spirit lead me down the path to perfection? Am I ready to be sanctified so that I experience everything that the grace of Jesus offers me? Or will I cling to this basic faith, this Sunday morning only salvation, and leave the really good stuff to others? My advice? Go for the upgrade. Amen. Thank you.